Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy-to-digest information. And now, here's today's episode. Let's talk about this. 42-year-old woman has severe smoke inhalation from a house fire. Um, she's in the emergency department, and the patient complains of a severe headache, has cherry red discoloration of her skin and mucous membranes. Which of the following lab findings is most likely? Um, so choices are decreased arterial O2 sat, a decreased P little a O2, increased alveolar arterial gradient, increased serum bicarbonate, and a normal total O2 content. Um, so what do you think, everyone? What do you think is going to be the right answer here? So let's go back to the vignette. So I know I did a couple of cliche things in here. So if someone comes in with a house fire, who had unfortunately had a house fire, severe smoke inhalation, buzz worse, cherry red discoloration of the skin. Um, what, what are we worried about in this case? Yeah, I mean, you folks are amazing. Uh, this is possibly someone who has carbon monoxide toxicity. And on your board exams, this is something that they love to ask, especially if you want to integrate it with, hey, do you understand some of the basic science behind it? And why do they put this here? Especially for people like me that are researching, they really want to make sure, you know, make sure that you know some of the pulmonary physiology. So let's go through this together. Um, well, number one, which ones would I cross off right off the bat? So in CO2, uh, carbon monoxide, I apologize, toxicity, I would cross out D. Would serum bicarbonate be elevated in carbon monoxide toxicity? The answer is probably not. You know, if anything, you could probably convince me it would probably be low. Maybe the patient could develop a lactic acidosis for a variety of reasons. But to have an elevated serum bicarb, to be alkalotic, it really doesn't fit the pattern of carbon monoxide toxicity. All right. Um, what about C, the A gradient? I know we spoke a little bit about that in the previous question. The big A is going to be the alveolar oxygen. That oxygen is going to diffuse through the alveoli, through the interstitium, and end up in the, the pulmonary capillaries. So if you have carbon monoxide toxicity, I mean, is that going to make the AA gradient widened? Would it be increased? The answer is probably not, right? So I think C is going to be, you know, the wrong answer. The AA gradient should be pretty much, yeah, should be normal in these cases. Okay. Um, what about the P little AO2 to dissolve the oxygen? If you have carbon monoxide toxicity, would it go down? The answer is probably not. And this goes back to, well, what really influences the value of the P little AO2? And I really could think of three main things. What three things influence the dissolved oxygen? Number one is going to be atmospheric pressure. And of course, if you go to Mount Kilimanjaro, the PO2 is going to be what? Low. We just talked about that. Number two is going to be the FiO2. So if I give you more, you know, fractional percent of oxygen, what happens to the PO2? It's going to go up. And the last thing is minute ventilation. So if you're going to be hyperventilating, of course, the PaO2 is going to go up. If you're hypoventilating, the PO2 is going to go up, down. So 
this is carbon monoxide. It really shouldn't affect that. It really comes down to, is the answer going to be A or E? And the way I look at it, folks, I don't know if anyone's got an answer already. Just raise your hand. I know I can't see. But, um, you know, if you have um, carbon monoxide, remember, it loves to bind to hemoglobin. It does. And when it binds to hemoglobin, it steals one of those binding spots for oxygen. So what happens is, is that if you are talking about total oxygen content, it's made up of two measurable things. That's going to be the O2 sat, amount of oxygen bound to hemoglobin, and the dissolved oxygen. So if the O2 sat is going down, this carbon monoxide stealing one of those binding spots, well, the total oxygen content can't be normal. It's got to be what? Low. So what is the right uh, that, uh, answer over here is? The answer has to be A, a decreased um, oxygen saturation. But wait, I'm sure someone's saying when you have carbon monoxide toxicity, why is the O2 sat, when you do a pulse oximeter, why is it going to be 100%? And the answer is, it's because that's a Pulse, pulse oximeter. It measures one wave of hemoglobin, which is going to be what? Oxyhemoglobin. So when we talk about, you know, checking that carboxyhemoglobin level, how do you do it on the boards? How do you do it in your hospital? Yeah, you got to find that artery and get a what? ABG. And from that ABG, you have to find a uh, Carb, uh, you have to find a cooximeter, and here's a little picture of a cooximeter over here. And you have to run it through there to kind of get that carboxyhemoglobin level. And of course, when we talk about carbon monoxide toxicity, if they ask me just one dimensionally, how do you treat it? Of course, oxygen first. In severe cases, when we talk about arrhythmias in the heart, and when we talk about mental status changes and seizures, yes, if available, you could consider, you know, a hyperbaric chamber that's, you know, sometimes not easy to come by. But of course, giving supplemental oxygen in these cases. So I thought this was a great question to talk about when we talk about total oxygen content. And I just put this in here because somehow this somehow manages to make its way on every pulmonary board exam, which is what we've called the oxygen dissociation curve. And what did I put this here for? One reason for all my pulmonologists out there who know this, on the y-axis, you have O2 saturation. On the x-axis, you have the P little a O2 dissolved oxygen. And why is this very important when we're training our fellows to talk about the steep and the flat parts of the curve? So remember, when you're on the flat part of the curve, that's going to be when you intubate someone like me. That next thing you know, you push the induction drugs, and you're going to have you know a good buffer of time to find that those vocal cords and put the tube in. Because, you know, as my P little a O2 is dropping and dropping and dropping, it really goes all the way down to 60 before really I notice a big change in my O2 sat. But if you're going to be on the steep part of the curve, and I'm sure all of us ex experiences this during the COVID-19 pandemic, patients come in so hypoxic and God forbid they need to go on the ventilator, the minute you induce them, you push the induction drugs, you push the automate, you push the, you know, the paralytic, what happens to O2 sat? Well, it drops very quickly because they're on that steep part of the curve. Also, still, they may even ask you what happens when you shift the curve to the right or left. You know, if you shift the curve to the right, of course, you're giving off that oxygen easily to the tissues. One of my favorite mnemonics is TAP, T for temperature, when you're going to be, you know, febrile, shift the curve to the right. 
If you're going to be acidotic, pH is going to be low, shift the curve to the right. And of course, something we don't see in the pulmonary boards that much, high levels of 2,3 DPG or BPG, shifting the curve to the right. We see those high levels in patients who are going to be hypoxic. And of course, when you want to shift the curve to the left, there are very unique ways to do that. One of those ways is going to be carbon monoxide, which was just the question that we talked about uh, before this. Now, if I were to ask you folks who are listening, you know, beyond shifting the curve to the right, shifting the curve to the left, can the curve be shifted up and down? What do you, what do you folks think? And the answer is, yeah, it can. So who can tell me how do you shift the curve up? You, you, you folks are so amazing. That's right. When you're going to be what? polycythemic. So when you increase the amount of taxicabs, you increase the amount of hemoglobin, well, of course, you're shifting the curve up. When we talk about shifting the curve down, it'll be the opposite. It's going to be anemia, anemia of any cause, whether it's a microcytic anemia or a macrocytic anemia, it really doesn't matter. So I put this here so you can always review this on your own. I think it's very important, even at the level of the pulmonary boards, to understand, you know, what influences your PaO2, your hemoglobin concentration, and the amount of hemoglobin that's going to be attached, the amount of oxygen, excuse me, attached to the hemoglobin, because these three things make up total oxygen content. And what I wanted to show was going to be when we had the previous question, it was about carbon monoxide toxicity. And the answer was total oxygen content should be low. It shouldn't be normal. And some of you said, why? Because in carbon monoxide, you know, poisoning, P little AO2 should be normal because it's not atmospheric pressure. You're not changing FAO2. And you're not increasing or decreasing your minute ventilation. Your hemoglobin concentration will not be affected when you have acute carbon monoxide poisoning. But what's going to change is the amount of oxygen bound to the hemoglobin because carbon monoxide is going to be bound strong to one of those binding spots. So if one of these three go down, then total oxygen content needs to be low. And that's why total oxygen content was going to be low in that specific case. Wonderful. All right. So with that being said, let's kind of um, cascade on a kind of a similar theme here. What about this one? So we have a 60-year-old um, man has just undergone a bronchoscopy with some trans bronchial biopsies of the right lower lobe and is noted to be tachypnic and cyanotic right after the procedure was finished. Uh-oh, this can't be good. <laughs> um, his O2 set was noted to be 87%. His cyanosis does not, and the not is underlined, improve with supplemental oxygen. This can't be good. Uh, bilateral breast sounds and chest rise are noted. Uh, which of the following interventions is most likely to improve his condition? Oh boy. Um, is it A, administer or put him in a hyperbaric chamber? And uh, B, administer methylene blue? Uh, C, get an arterial blood gas and a chest x-ray? D, intubate. Why not? <laughs> and E, um, Place bilateral chest tubes. Now, this is a tricky one. So I'm going to give you folks a little time to think about this. So once again, a gentleman, 60 years of age, bronchoscopy with transbronchobiopsies of the right lower lobe is now tachypnic, cyanotic. Uh, what do you want to do? What do you want to do?
Yeah, you know, it's these moments where I can't wait to do live lectures again. It's gonna be so fun. Um, but, you know, let's, I think one of the most important things when I do, you know, board review is, you know, kind of like process of elimination. I think that if you could cross out at least one of these or five choices, I mean, that improves your guessing by 20%. Two is 40%. I mean, let's, which one would you folks cross out right off the bat? Yeah, I, I hear you. You folks are amazing. And what do I mean by that? Oh, my God, you guys are so fast. Um, I would say you could cross out D, um, C, ABG and chest x-ray. Why? Well, number one, what does the question say? It says, which of the following is most likely to what? What's this word? Improve. So bottom line point is you could ABG all you want. Uh, an image all you want, it won't make him feel better. <laughs> so C is gonna be wrong. Uh, what else is gonna be wrong here? I think clinically, uh, just throwing someone in a hyperbaric chamber, that sounds kind of mean. Uh, I wouldn't wanna do that when he's sats or dropping and he's tachypnic. So pretty much I wouldn't do A and C just you know based on clinical gestalt and reading the question. Um, what else seems kind of a, a weird choice? Yeah, I, I think someone said it, D, intubate. Now, why would intubate kind of be the wrong answer here? For a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, there are many reasons to intubate, but I'll tell you one thing, you know, if you were hypoxic before you intubated the patient, like our patients with COVID, you could intubate them all you want, they're still gonna be one, <laughs> hypoxic. So intubating is gonna protect the airway, don't get me wrong, but it wouldn't really want to treat the underlying cause of what's going on there. So though tempting, it's always great to be up on your procedural skills, but I would say that, you know, A, C, and D are going to be wrong. So it really comes down to methylene blue or placing some chest tubes, you know, and the right answer is, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm bullied into picking what? Methylene blue. And so the question is, why? Well, E, I mean, I only did biopsies of the right lower lobe. That would be kind of mean to put in bilateral chest tubes, especially I'm getting bilateral breast sounds and chest rise. But if you didn't like that answer, um, what about, you know, this part right here where the oxygen does not improve with the oxygen? So when we talk about causes of hypoxia, most things like a VQ mismatch really respond to supplemental oxygen. So if you have a pneumothorax, should it respond to oxygen? The answer is, yeah. In fact, for some cases of pneumothorax, we definitely give supplemental oxygen to help reabsorb you know, the, the air and everything. So I really don't think E is gonna be the right answer. So if I'm kind of bullied into picking methylene blue, who could tell me what is the diagnosis, anyone? And once again, I wish we were alive. I could see you yelling the right answer. And you know, methylene blue is gonna be the antidote for, for what disorder? Yeah, hemoglobinemia. So when we talk about hemoglobinemia, number one is that, well, what is it and how does it relate to this question? So hemoglobinemia means that, you know, our hemoglobin, you know, has a porphyrin ring and this ring has an iron moiety and the moiety is in what oxidized state. Yeah, it's gonna be Fe plus what? Two, we call it the ferric. And sometimes because of drugs or because of genetics, uh, it could change our Fe plus two to Fe plus three, which is the fair, uh, I'm sorry, did I get that backwards? 
bad Dr. Raj. So we have the Fe plus two, which is the ferrous. There's too many sounds here, isn't there? So our hemoglobin <laughs> has a porphyrin that contains oxygen, which is Fe plus two, which is the ferrous. And something like genetics or drugs can change it to Fe plus three, which is the fer ick. Ick. I want to make sure I say it correctly. So unfortunately, when you're in that ferric state, Fe plus three, two things could happen. Number one is that you can't bind oxygen to the hemoglobin. And because of that, the O2 sat is going to be what? Low. And people with hemoglobinemia, they've really got a low O2 sat. And this patient's O2 sat was what? Like 87%. And on top of that, uh, not only can you not bind oxygen there, the oxygen that's already on the hemoglobin can't be relinquished to starving tissue. So it shifts the O2 dissociation curve, which way? All the way to the left, just like what? Carbon monoxide. So when we talk about um, how, do we, how do we treat you know, um, hemoglobinemia? Well, the antidote is what? Methylene blue. How do we diagnose it? Well, you still need to get this ABG and you need to go to a what? Co-oximeter, and you gotta run it so they give you that hemoglobin level, okay? And when we talk about, you know, a couple little things, number one is that um, if someone gets methylene blue and all of a sudden they start hemolyzing, it's not very common, not very common if they start hemolyzing on your pulmonary boards, what type of anemia do we worry about when people who start hemolyzing when you give methylene blue? You folks are so amazing. You worry about what? G6PD deficiency. You never know who has it. And of course, you get the peripheral smear. You look at these bite cells. In these bite cells, there's these Heinz bodies, you know. All right. And then one more thing I'm going to ask you, because they may, it's a classic board question, is what on earth, you know what I mean? Um, oh, back to this question. By the way, how did this patient get um, methemoglobinemia? Who could tell me? He had a bronch. Why did he get methemoglobinemia? Drugs. Now, of course, what are going to be some classic drugs that cause hemoglobinemia? Well, you have to remember the nitrates on the board exam. Nitrates are a classic one. Antibiotics like Dapsone can definitely do it. But why did this person get it? That's right. Those class 1A, 1B, 1C antiarrhythmics, things like what? Lidocaine. So if you before you do a bronch, what do we usually do? We numb up those cords. And I've done this before when I was a fellow. I mean, you just sometimes go to town <laughs> with that lidocaine. And of course, if you give too much lidocaine, that can induce a methemoglobinemia. And that's what happened in this case. The answer is methylene blue. And what I'm going to ask you is, you know, when on your board exams, may they want you to, um, you know, uh, induce a methemoglobinemia as kind of an antidote for a toxicity that's a classic question on your board exam so when do we actually want to induce the methemoglobinemia and the answer is you're right cyanide toxicity and yes even on the pulmonary boards the critical care boards they're always going to give someone who either has methemoglobinemia carbon monoxide or cyanide toxicity and of course cyanide toxicity think about someone who has that what what does their breath smell like? Yeah, like bitter almonds. I always wondered why is it bitter almonds? Yeah, you're right. I think there's cyanide in almonds. That's right. It's also in peach pits and all those kind of things. And of course, you know, how do you die from, you know, um, having cyanide toxicity is cyanide loves to bind 
in the mitochondria. In the mitochondria, what do you have? The electron transport chain. It loves to bind to what they call complex four, you know, so you can't do oxidative phosphorylation, you know, that's a bad thing. And uh, why does it bind to complex four? It's because complex four contains Fe plus three, which is the what? The ferric. So in theory, if you induce a hemoglobinemia, well, RBCs that have hemoglobin, you know what I mean, will turn to the ferric. And remember in red blood cells, there's no mitochondria in red blood cells. There's no nucleus in red blood cells. So it goes all to the RBCs instead of going to the cells that have a mitochondria. So it's not going to inhibit electron transport. And that's why, I, what was the antidote in the olden days for, um, you know, um, you know, cyanide toxicity? It was always giving you these nitrates because what was one of the most common drugs that induces a hemoglobinemia were the nitrates. So somehow they, they always seem to ask this question on the boards. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, Vita Brevis.